0: I've been a member and supporter of Go Wild for over a year now. Man, how time flies. Their social media platform is For Hunters by Hunters. And if you followed me for any length of time, you know that I'm in the woods or on the water if I'm not working. And yes, some ask, do you work? Unfortunately, I do. It's a place that I post all of my trophies, no matter how big or small. (laughs) Mine, mostly small. I get tips, tricks, tactics, and advice from people who eat, breathe, and sleep the outdoors. I log all of my outdoor adventures, including the time spent listening to the best podcast in the land, The Journey, hosted by no other than yours truly. So when I need anything outdoors, I just log on to the Go Wild store, pick out what I need, and that's anything from hunting, fishing, camping, optics, outdoor wear, and yes, hound supplies. So when you make your next purchase at Go Wild, use our discount code, HXP10, to go along with that free shipping. I'm proud to partner up with the Go Wild team. So let's get your journey started today here on Go Wild. We're going to go back a little bit. Uh, it's been 10 years. I didn't realize that until we were sitting here doing a little chit-chatting. But, you know, in the in the dog world, and I don't care what world it's in, you know, we're in the hound world. You know, I've also been blessed to be a part of the law enforcement side of it and do a lot of training and teaching on that end. But I've always said this, and you've heard me say it on this podcast, that without coaches and mentors I would not be where I'm at today and I would not have the some of the knowledge that I've been so fortunate to to take from others because there's nothing that I talk about in this podcast that's mine it's always it's been learned from somebody else somebody else done it 200 years ago and we're still implementing those tactics or um, training tips and yes we have evolved we do a lot of things different than we did you know back when I started 19 years ago but um, mentorship is huge and for you young guys that are younger guys that are getting into the to the dog world hounds um, more specifically if you can get somebody that'll take you under their wing it's going to do you invaluable justice because they're going to save you a lot of headaches time time that you could be enjoying yourself instead of being frustrated So, today, I've got one of my good friends, I consider him a good friend, and a mentor on with us, and I've got Jeff Barron on. Jeff lives in Lakeland, Florida now, but Jeff and I both have, well, he's got ties back to Virginia, we'll go through that in a minute, and Jeff is one of the co-owners of HITS, and you've heard me talk about HITS several times on here, because I pull a lot of my knowledge from the... The variety of instructors they have at this seminar, and it is by far the best seminar, canine-wise, that I've ever been to. Um, I mean, last year we went Orlando. Jeff, how many? How many people were there? Sixteen hundred.
1: Yeah, we had sixteen hundred plus. Now that's twelve hundred attendees. That's the the police officers and their supervisors and trainers that attended with us, and then we had about four hundred. vendors Vendors. and instructors and admin people so yeah
0: so what an amazing number it is i mean and it keeps like again um before we get too far in this like from the time that i started going in 2013 was my first um well i'll just walk you down the path so we we don't have to go back and redo it so in 2013 i went to st louis missouri and just to give you guys a little bit of me, um, I actually paid my way to go to this seminar. Um, My sister lives in St. Louis, so I was able to go out and stay with her, and then I paid for my entry to the seminar, and that's how much I wanted to learn. Like, I I wanted to know, I wanted to get information, and that was the best way to do it. Um, Now, since then, my department has been a hundred percent i um, taking care of the financial part of it. But that was this start of it, 2013, August, 2013, to be exact. So I go up to the registration counter and, um, guy sitting there, we start ha- having a conversation. He hands me, he asked me my name. I tell him he hands me my badge and my badge says Christiansburg, Virginia. And he goes, Oh, he goes, you live in Christiansburg. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, he said, I'm from Virginia. And we got into this conversation, and um, Jeff from Tazewell, and a lot of you bear hunters listening, y'all know where that's at. That's, I mean, that's in some of the heart of the bear country around here. But Jeff originally from from Tazewell, and that was our connection. We started having conversations and talking about Virginia, and it kind of grew from one thing to another. And Jeff comes up when he comes up to see his mom, we've had I've had him over a couple of times. He's actually came I mean, this is so important. He's actually came and stayed with me and went to our canine training. I mean that he come to our canine training and, and helped me learn and helped our guys improve. And then as that relationship built, we actually had his group up doing um and I don't remember what year it was, Jeff, but y'all come up and done a detection class a three day detection class so i
1: can't remember what year that was it wasn't too many years after 2013 i don't think
0: i want to say 15 is what yeah, i want to say it was right. yeah you guys come up and we had a huge class um dogs from all over the east coast and y'all done a three-day detection seminar um and i'm, I'm going to roll this too before i get let jeff kind of tell about himself so through jeff through my relationship with jeff and you know we have ties because you know he's from virginia i'm from virginia um, I have got to know a lot of the guys in the hits um foundation. I guess that's the way you can say it so there's a couple guys in there, so Andy Weirman, he does the detection stuff down in Florida, and then you have Ted dolls, who's an attorney down in Florida, and because of my relationship with with Jeff, I'm able to tap into those guys i can't tell you the times that i've sent sent ted email on case law and stuff and he, i mean he gets right back with me and answers it to the best of his ability or gives me really good guidance or advice um andy the same way i've sent him um emails on some detection problems that i was having um and then on a case that come out of idaho here just a while back and andy gets right back with me but you know that circle of influence um it continues to grow and as it grows, you gain more knowledge and you get better. And I can't be thankful enough that you know our paths our past crossed because um, a lot of what I know now has come from you, Jeff, or the seminars that I've been to over the years, and I've been to a, several of them over the years. Uh, so to 10 years I've been to at least six, maybe seven of them. I missed, um, I missed the one in Chicago. You had one out, I guess you had one in Arizona a couple of years ago or San Francisco. Where was that?
1: Yeah. We had one in San Francisco and then we yeah. had one in Phoenix as well. Yep. Phoenix, Scottsdale, they're neighbors. So yep. we're back there.
0: Yep. So that's the three that I've missed. So out of 10 years, I've missed three years. Um, and that's because they're on the West coast and <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't really feel good about asking my department to pay for me a, plane ticket out there back, but, um, so that's that, that's how our paths crossed, um, the mentorship. And I'm sure as we go through talking, we're going to talk about that a lot because I mean, Jeff has fielded phone calls for me after phone calls for me. Um, and not only me, several other guys in our group have called and asked questions and he, I mean, he has a, he has such a, a diverse, um group of in his circle that I can get about any answer from any discipline that I need um so I felt like that it was important for me to go over that before we get into everything else so Jeff just tell everybody a little bit about you um your years of service your years as training dogs I mean you guys travel all over the country training dogs and that's why I wanted to have you on because we're going to talk about some of that.
1: Yeah, we sure do. You know, life is so funny when you get to look back on your own life and you think, had they asked me, someone, where I'd be in 20 or 30 years as a career police officer, what would that look like? I wouldn't have ever had a clue. And I was probably 20 when I first went to Lakeland and uh, of course I was uh, born in uh, Richlands which is in Tazewell County and then um, my mother and father moved us to Florida when I was seven but I, I went back every year and spent the summers with family there so uh, it's it's definitely home to me and I still get back there as much as I can but uh, when we moved to Florida uh, I Got out of high school, went to work for a prison and uh, saw their bloodhounds there. And I thought that was just the neatest thing. I had been raised with um, hog dogs, catching hog dogs, hogs with dogs. And uh, so that was my first experiences. My grandfather uh, was a foxhound guy. So that was that was my early experiences with dogs uh, as I learned more about that whole process, I think it was just a, a great way to get together with friends, go out for the night and enjoy yourselves on the mountains, listen to the dogs run. They could tell which dog it was that was theirs, uh, according to them, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was my that was my first experiences with dogs. And when I went to the prison, I saw the bloodhound, thought, man, that's the coolest job. I like that. But I never got there. I always wanted to be a cop, but I didn't really give too much uh, interest to the the policing side of it when i saw my first police dog and i thought that's the job i want i'd rather be out there chasing bad guys trying to catch them with a dog than to do anything else in my life and it was just a passion that i had about you know what it took i saw that finished product in the back seat of that police car and I thought, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. And I think I was a cop for 20 months when I got my first one. And uh, my police department was kind enough to leave me in that position for 31 of my 33 years that I worked there. And uh, that was such a blessing to me. And I'm not one of those guys that just sits in the position and rides it out as a as a way to retire and not ever uh, advance myself so I was always going to classes and you talked about paying your own way I had paid my way to so many different classes over the years I remember uh, early 2000s Bob Eden mm-hmm. uh, great mentor one of the guys that uh, you know had this traveling uh, seminar where they would go and they'd train people and he come to Florida uh, about three or four years in a row, and it was always a different topic, and I took every single class that he had to the point where he gave me my last check back because I had taken so many of his classes. He's like, I've I've paid um, enough into his services that he wanted to give me a class, and I had learned so much through that stuff, but uh, I had this passion to want to give back to people, and educate them on what little bit I knew, but I'm a student of this game to this day and not necessarily exclusively to the law enforcement side of it, but to every other aspect of sporting dogs, just training dogs. It's just a passion that you have when you get into uh, different fields. It really opens your eyes to what these dogs can do. And um, I could, I could live 10 lifetimes and still be learning from the different types of training that we do. You know, whether it be hounds, whether it be bird dogs, whatever the case is, just the fact that we can manipulate the genetics on it and then use that to exploit the training and the techniques to get them to do what we want them to do is just just amazing to me and it never gets old. But uh, yeah, I spent 31 of my 30, 33 years with a dog in the back seat and a leash in my hand. And over the years, uh, you know, my the first thing that I said today was you never would ever guess where you'd end up, you know, after 20 or 30 years of doing this stuff. But I was blessed enough to meet some good people that um, wanted to do some business with me. And we entered business together and started training dogs and we traveled the country doing it and our first um, uh, little gig was through MCTFT which was the multi-jurisdictional counter drug task force Mm -hmm. and uh, Frank Campbell uh, hired us uh, through the college we we were paid through the college and it was tuition-free training for police dog handlers to go to it and our class stayed booked up Uh, it probably cost them more money uh, to teach our class because it was the hands-on stuff and not lecture type stuff. But um, that's where we pretty much met Frank Campbell, Andy Wyman uh, started a little business called canine development group. And Andy and I are still in that company and uh, we have software for the record keeping side of it. And then uh, we also met Jeff Meyer at our first little hits conference. And uh, Andy had been to a c- conference for um, narcotics guys. And he understood how that was laid out and wanted to do the same for police dogs. And that had never been done before. So if you think about uh, the history of how we've always trained our dogs it was always a hands-on seminar where everybody got together and we worked dogs. And that's still true today. And that's a very valuable piece of it. But when we introduced hits, it was all lecture. And so that's five breakout classes running eight hours a day for three days. And it became wildly popular. And I, I sat back one day and I was talking to Andy and, uh, he said, did you ever think about the impact that we had had on this industry being law enforcement canine and the way training is delivered? And I thought, I had not until you said something. And um, when you think about that, when you're looking at given this type of training, now we're up to 1,000, 1,200 people annually at one conference under one house. Uh, with all these people who know so much, what an impact that has made on the education of handlers. And my first dog was uh, out of somebody's backyard in 1988. And if we wanted new dogs, we'd put an ad in the paper and say, the police department needed a new dog. If anybody was interested in getting rid of a German Shepherd, we'd go look at it. Now, that's how far back (laughs) we were. You know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Mm -hmm. cell phones. So we'd use the newspaper to advertise for us. And word of mouth, um, the guy that put us into canine back in the day, I always considered him the the godfather of canine, especially in the county where I worked, because he worked the first police dog there. And then he put me into canine. One day I went to training. And I was wearing a Tazewell Bulldogs sweatshirt from the high school there. And he said, boy, where'd you get that shirt? So I told him, and he said, you have got to be kidding me. Now we had known each other about a year. And uh, this is the first time that topic come up. And he said, my family lives in Tazewell. I was born in Tazewell. I still go back there because all my folks still live there. And I had a a family history uh, book that I gave him one time when he went home for a a family reunion and come find out we're related and, uh, you know, past cousins type of thing. But uh, what a small world it is sometimes uh, to have those types of connections. But Mm -hmm. getting back on uh, the subject of dog training, the value that we have in networking can never be overstated. And I've learned that over the years uh, to be able to pick up the phone and call people when you have a problem that you don't know how to fix. And a lot of times um, we're so optimistic as canine handlers that we can fix problems that that we live in that moment too long and we hold on to a dog that's just not worthy of the job. Uh, Based primarily on the genetic makeup of the dog, but we we usually hang on hang on to them too long, and even with a little bit of knowledge, um, or even a whole lot, there's just simply nothing we can do. Um, Frank Campbell used to say that he couldn't make chicken salad out of chicken crap, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's just nothing you can do with a dog like that, other than making maybe a pet at home. So optimistically we we tend to hang on too long to those dogs but um, getting back to the point of that is having those contacts and reaching out to people not being afraid to ask that question that you think silly because it's not it's just that you don't know the answer yet and it might be simple and fun to, fundamental to us because we've seen whatever the issue is before and we pretty much have the answer. And what I've come to realize is that no matter what the dog and what the training, it's like a chess game. And the more you play, you might understand the game and have those fundamentals. But you've got to have three or four moves ahead of that dog in anticipation of all the other moves that he might do uh, to counteract or get around what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And when you don't know those moves, you know, it's important that you have somebody there that you can reach out to and help you um, identify which direction you're going to go next. And what happens is a lot of times the guys will ignore those issues, continue on <laughs> down the path without ever really fixing it. They mask it. And that don't just apply to, police work. That's thats in every aspect of dog training because they won't reach out. It's usually their egos that get hurt when they have a problem and they don't want to address it. You know, our egos um, live and die with the performance of our dogs. And that's one of the hardest things for us to ever get over. And so I always try to emphasize that point whenever I train people in any seminar is that when you're with me, it's time to put that ego on the shelf. You know, we're not going to criticize you. And if we do, it's all in the done anyway. Right. So it's so important uh, to be able to have those people that will uh, reach out to you. And I had this, this yearning to teach people early on. I wanted to have them be as enthusiastic and energetic as I was about getting better. And it was always disappointing to me when I would try to help somebody who would reject it. And I felt so frustrated with that. And I learned over the years that, um, you know, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And so I stopped leading them to the water and let them come to it. And those that come to you for that are the ones who want to drink and they will. And so those are the sponges that I like to fill up with knowledge. It's the others that uh, I, I can't waste my time on because it just it'll beat you down when you're trying to teach somebody something that don't want to learn. It.
0: Yeah, there, Jeff, you said several things there. I want to go back and touch on the journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with One TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, Go to worksowell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on the journey. You like to be outside like I do, hunting, fishing, hiking. If so, Onyx is the app for you. I've been a loyal Onyx user for years. It's the one app that I can honestly say I use daily. While hunting, I know where I'm at at all times. I mark trails, bedding areas, feeding areas, and the list goes on. In my travels, I use it to pre-scout all the new places that I am blessed to hunt. Last year while hiking Yellowstone, I used OnX to map out the trails and know the difficulty of each one. And here's a secret. I mark all of my favorite fishing spots on OnX. It's been a game changer for me at work. I've used it multiple times to get in touch with property owners. Onyx has so many great features and tools, you can literally use it in your everyday life. It is, by far, the best mapping app on the market. And hey, it's approved by yours truly at Houndsman XP. So when you go to subscribe to Onyx, use our code HXP20 and get you a discount. So get your journey started with Onyx and know where you stand. Um, The first being when you talked about the vast knowledge that you have at your seminars, you know, and putting your ego aside is like learning like from those guys that are working in these cities that are getting for me, you know, you know, our utilizations where I'm at. Of course, it's really, it's really dropped for me because I had to take my dog out of the narcotic side of it because of the marijuana. So I'm just doing tracking and apprehension. And I've had two apprehension dogs now and have not got a bite. I've had several opportunities, but something happens. They end up having a weapon or something happens. But w- back to what I was saying is that listening to the guys that are working these, like, Getting, They're getting, you know, five and six, eight and ten deployments a shift. Like, they have so much not work. They have so much deployment knowledge. You cannot not listen to them. Like, it's, it's there. Like, they have it. And I think that has helped me being able to pull from their mistakes or what they've learned and try to implement it in what I'm doing. And I think it has helped me. Um, I think it's helped my success rate on the law enforcement side. Um, and the second thing you, that you said that I want to touch on is you can't make people learn what they don't want to learn. And that's hard in our field because, um, bear hunting or, or hound hunting in general, let's just go hound hunting in general. I don't care if you're a competition coon hunter. I don't care if you're a lion hunter, or bear hunter. We're very cliquish and you don't like to go outside your circle and it's a it's ego driven and we have to be able to, like and you, you posted this a while back and um, I've seen it float out across the, you know, Facebook and Instagram several times is that a man's ego is a, uh, a big burden for a dog to bear. Yeah. And it is because our expectations are here and like you said, people mask the problem, they avoid the problem, they don't deal with the problem simple beca- simply because they don't ask or reach out to somebody that knows. And just in the law enforcement side, I couldn't fix half the stuff that I've had to fix if I hadn't called you or somebody that you have connected me with. Um, you know, that's that's helped me. And I understand that if I don't have you guys that are you're training all over the world i mean all over the country and in fact i listened to a podcast you and jeff and ap and somebody else was on but i can't remember who um i was actually
1: daniel dar and uh, a couple of jeff myers was there yeah he was doing the podcast
0: yeah but you were actually at some training and y'all were doing like a question and answer and i was listening to it i was coming back from north carolina bear hunting and i was listening to it on the way home and I think you and AP, or maybe AP had brought it up, and said that um, you were surprised that, like, some of the dogs did really good, and then the other dogs, it was no in-between. It was either failure, or the dogs were able to to perform the task. And I don't remember exactly what, I don't think you guys even said what you exactly were doing. But you said the next day, when we come out and you adjusted things and was able to to coach them through the process in steps, how much more success that everybody had.
1: Yeah, it's incredible to see uh, how quickly you can see progress in in some of the classes that we run. But uh, the downturn on that is when you go home, you you can't say, well, the dog knows it. Um, We give you the tools and the techniques to advance that. And just like everything, Those are diminishing skills. So, if you don't keep up with them, it's not like you can rest on that that plateau and say I've got it. And that's why we have maintenance training because this is a never ending process. It's not like a savings account where you put (laughs) a little bit into it and it grows by itself. Yeah, you know this this is something that it's always going to fall falter. Uh, if you don't keep up, you keep up with it, and try to advance yourself. And so, you know, if you say, "Well, we did that for three days," and you know, he's got it; mm-hmm. he don't. So, and that's true with every single aspect of dog training. It doesn't matter whether it's a a floppy-eared dog or a pointy-eared dog, and, and, and don't matter what what you're doing with it. If you don't continue to work with it and work on it, it's gonna. You know it's going to diminish in its value to the dog. So it's a perishable skill. It sure is perishable skills in everything we do.
0: And one of those things, one of those questions, um, and I won't, I won't give the guy away, but there was a guy from a small agency, one dog in his agency, and he had to travel to get anybody to train with. Um, and your guys' advice were. You know, you've got to hook up with somebody, whether you have to drive an hour or two, or if you can you can train one day by yourself or you know, the next the next training day, try to, to venture out and go with somebody that's got that experience, which I'm gonna tie back into what I'm talking about is um there's a there's a lot of guys that have been hunting hounds for a lot of years. And um they have a lot of knowledge and a lot of times if you reach out to them they'll they'll help you with that problem or they can give you some some tips or some tricks that they've learned to try to do that and jeff i can go back on all these um one of the things that i've learned in canine training um is that the bigger your toolbox is the better you're going to have for success because dogs are not cookie cutters. No dog is ever the same. And that if I have three or four options, then I can pick out the the option that best suits that dog. And I know if I know the process, which I should, if I'm continually learning on how to implement that process, when I switch him to a different, um training technique i would say is that that sound right
1: yeah yeah you know everything we do is based on generalities everything that we teach is just in general uh we know that the the techniques that we talk about are sound we know that they work because we've implemented them and when i take any technique i don't care if it's obedience to tracking And I tell you, this is the process. This is going to be the technique. And it works flawlessly. And the dog performs as he should, just as I told you it would. It makes me look like a million bucks, right? (laughs) But where I earn my money is the problem child that doesn't fit the mold, that doesn't accept the technique. And it takes a thousand reps for the damn light to come on with this dog and say, oh, this is what you've been wanting me to do. Others fall right into it, you know, three or four times of doing something. They're like, hey, I kind of get this. I I know what's going on. And and they flow very easily into the process of training. But where we make our money as trainers is those problem children, those, those troubled souls that just refuse to understand and make the connection. And so then we really have to look at our techniques to make sure that we're doing what we need to do. Uh, in the right way and then there's just other times where and this is where the gray area comes in is when I tell you uh, a technique there's a lot of guys that see everything in black and white Mm -hmm. and it's either yes you know it's 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 documented and this is the rigid way the rigid technique and it's not working and they cannot fall into that gray area adjust it a little bit and come up with the right uh, touch. You know, if it were a stew and you're trying to perfect the flavor of it, you may take a little less salt, a little more salt to make this technique work. And they have such trouble uh, envisioning that. And a lot of times when I, I talk about these things and I talk about the dogs having trouble, it's as much or more, probably more, the person mm-hmm. in trying to, uh, process what I'm telling them and applying it to real life. They'll nod their head and look at you and say, I got it. And then, you know, of course, we're all going to dance with two left feet, but I'll tell you, I've, I've trained hundreds, if not thousands of handlers, probably thousands. And I've seen so many dogs over the years. And of all my students, uh, very few, have ever, probably none, have ever been as receptive, understanding, and have such a vision as AP. Um, I didn't know AP until I put him in the canine unit. And, um, you know, you it, it really benefits you to know a handler's personality before you give him a dog. So I gave him a dog that was a little soft. He was a little harder handler. <laughs> but I can talk to him or he can hear anybody that knows more than him and they'll give him a crumb of an idea and technique and he can see it take it he'll build a whole pie out of it and be able to work with it and that's just how good he is he's way better of a trainer in my opinion than I am and I'm the guy that trained him to begin with but um it's people like that who really shine in any um probably any environment but Uh, We're talking about dogs and training. So when these people come around and they're open, uh, their heart and their toolbox to you, uh, don't be afraid to pick their brain about it because they're going to give you something and don't necessarily say, well, it didn't work for me, so therefore it doesn't work at all. We know what we do works because we've done it so many times. And I've had that happen to me where I've learned techniques and thought, wow, this is really going to benefit me. And uh, kind of find out it was just a tool in the toolbox that I rarely ever use because it just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially like recalls from a a bite where you're sending them and calling them back. And I had some techniques and I thought you know this is going to work pretty good, but it really didn't. So uh, you keep those in mind for dogs that it might work on, and then you move on and you just keep putting those tools in the
0: box. So one one of the things that I see in you know i'm i'm pulling this from my law enforcement side the training side and i'll ask you this because you see thousands of dogs a year <clears throat> um foundation the solid the more foundation that you put in a dog and the better the the more solid the foundation is the easier it is to work the kinks out and deal with the problems is that yeah. true or not yeah.
1: Yeah, and there is nothing that says you can't take a step or two back mm-hmm. and go back to that foundation and shore it up. If you start to see some problems that you've maybe advanced too far too quickly, and you start to see the dog struggle, and, um, the particular angle that I'm talking about is tracking. <laughs> you know, there's so many different layers to this mm-hmm. that complicate it. And uh, if you're trying to, build to a, a level that's more complex, where you have longer tracks, less odor, more distractors, you can't just jump right into something like that. You have to take away uh, one of those elements, two of those elements, if you're going to make one of them harder. So if you're going to make it a longer track, you don't age it as much. If you're going to make it a, a harder, more contaminated track, you're going to make it shorter, maybe make the the uh, surface less um, hard. hard. Hard surface is hard, obviously, but um, you have to think these things through. So uh, those elements you have to work with and manage. You can't just throw it out there, but the foundation of that starts real easy. I'll give you one perfect example of uh, ignorance and on my part with Uh, teaching dogs to track was uh, I wanted so you know tracking was my bread and butter and that's where I made my money and uh, it was the most uh, difficult thing to do and of course you know if that's that's where you want to be you're going to focus on that or you should you don't hide it Uh, a lot of guys just ignore it and hide it because it is a difficult job to do especially with some of the different uh, genetics for the dogs but um I wanted to do hard surface. I wanted to do a dog that was just great on hard surface. So I said, I know the technique is sound. I know how to use it. So I started the dog off on it. Buddy, I'm telling you, this dog will find you on hard surface. And I had worked that for weeks. And I thought, this won't be a problem putting in you know, grass and stuff like that, because that's easy, right? Now, I watched this dog, and he watched the track layer through the, through the grass, off the side of the road, lay his track, and come back. And I asked him to track, and he turned 90 degrees away from that track and started working hard surface because we were right there on the side of the road. And in his mind, that was not the picture. And I knew better. I just thought that that really didn't apply in this case. You know, dogs paint these pictures in their heads of scenarios, and that's what we're doing for dogs is putting as many pictures in their head. But it was just like starting over. I mean, 100%, he did not understand the concept of of a track that was in the grass because I had done so much hard surface. He turned 90 degrees up and down that road we were on and wanted to try and find something to follow. And so that taught me right there that you have to be diverse pretty quick. And, uh, you know, I had laid such a foundation for that dog on hard surface that uh, putting that easy grass on there wasn't easy at all. So uh, from then on, we started, you know, breaking it up and doing all those different surfaces at once so that we painted those pictures simultaneously. But the foundation uh, is so critical. I've had guys come to me and said, well, um, you know, I do the advanced stuff better than this basic stuff.
0: And I just chuckled (laughs) to myself because
1: (laughs) you can't do do anything uh, in police work without control. You know, there's no tactics without control. And control is just basics. And so uh, once I kind of imparted that idea to him, it made a little more sense to him. But I can tell you that If I were to advertise a class today and I I advertise it as a fundamental basics class, I'd only get about a third of the interest if I run the exact same class and said it was advanced because people want advanced. But -hmm. when they come to class, they can't do what I'm hoping they'll do because Mm -hmm. they can't do the basics. And a lot of times what I do is I spend a lot of time with those guys who want to do the advanced when they come to class, um, running through some techniques that will get them up to speed before they can ever do anything uh, more advanced because they just don't have control.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point you made and I don't guess I've ever said that out loud, but the wrong foundation or not the wrong, but a foundation in one direction can definitely set you back when you're trying to do multiple things yeah um and you know you you guys when i first sit through your class you know you guys start off on hard surfaces we don't we start off on you know vegetation because most of our deployments are rural areas um very seldom i mean not 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 a lot but but we have you know tracking through town and even if we did there's so much grass and so many islands in the parking lots and stuff like that that you know I can f- find a productive source pretty quick and get back on it. Where you guys are a lot more pavement oriented, um. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I picked that up when you know when I was sitting through y'all stuff that um that you guys and you you had said I think you had actually said that in your class one time about you'd think it would be easy, but if you don't, it's not.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you think it would be easy. And, you know, once you've introduced the dog to it, it, it's probably more crushed vegetation than it is anything else, but he's, you know, that brain's working uh, so hard with that nose, uh, picking up all those things and recording them, that, um, you know, the process is uh, probably really more than, you know, we we like to talk about what we know about the dog's nose, but... uh, I doubt in all sincerity that we know Mm -hmm. anything close, you know, to what's uh, going on. And a lot of it, honestly, is genetic driven. You know, I, I have a difficult time finding high drive dogs that'll track like I want them to track. And that's, that truly is genetics. Now you can see plenty of videos where these guys are working malawas and these high speed dogs on hard surface and they're very methodical and i know that the you know these people that make these videos are very sincere about it but that's not every case you know Mm -hmm. that's not i don't think that's the norm where these dogs are going down the streets and filled with people and being able to do that i'm talking to you know the malawa types and stuff that yep uh, doing that so.
0: Well, it's funny you bring it up. Um, I had just done a podcast with um, Miguel from Spain, and one of the things that Miguel said, and it's, you I, I want to go back after that too. But one of the things that he said is the thing about our, our field that people don't realize is, like in the in the hunting world, my dogs are genetically driven to catch game. They're bred to, to track, trail, tree, bay, a bear, or a cat, or a coon, or whatever. In the law enforcement side of it, those dogs are not genetically bred to chase humans. You know, that's a game that we implement, and, like, the dog's not, I don't want to say overly excited um, he has a job to do and some dogs do that task very very well but it do, it's not the same excitement level that you see out of my dogs when they catch a bear right um and he, he, he and it kind of like opened my eyes I'm like you know that makes sense you know our dogs are not they're not that's not a genetic makeup to just to track a man you know right. that's not their that's not that's not exactly what they were bred for but we you like you said we're we're taking those drives and um, implementing, you know, our training and stuff. But I, I thought that was pretty interesting that, that he said that. And I got to looking at it. I'm like, yeah. And, you know, Jeff, one thing that you're talking about that a lot of the, the listeners don't understand is those, the pointy-eared dogs, and I've seen it more, and you you would know well above me, but you and I both have another that commonality, too, is the the tracking is what got me into the police dogs you know, catching people, um, using a dog to hunt. And that's, that's what I love to do with my hounds. And, you know, you and I got in at about the same time. I, I'd been in this job 18 months and I got my yeah. dog and, you know, of course you've got a lot more years in than I do and a lot more experience. But, um, you know, I, I want to, I want to track, I want to track man, but the pointier dogs, and I see it more with, with Malleys and Dutchies. Is that, is that visual stimulation? And I think, is that what you were saying?
1: Yeah. They're very visual. Yep.
0: My, my shepherd, now my shepherd that I have, um, is not, is not that, that visual. Like he will put his nose and you talk about the more methodical, uh, you see that in him more so than my Mally that I used to have. Now my Dutchie that I have now is he's a, he's a decent balance. But through the training that I've got from you guys and other people that I've been to, I was able to create that when I started his foundation and made it so that he was not just sight-tracking everything that he was doing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's something that I just don't know that we can overcome uh, to the degree that we want it to be with some dogs. And that's just the realization uh, everybody, um, wants to track better. Um, if, if you're so inclined to, to advance yourself, you're going to reach out and that's where your contacts come into play. And, you know, the, that networking is so important and I, I don't want to be the dead horse, but I don't think that I can ever overstate the value of that to mm-hmm. reach out to people, uh, to find the ways. And, you know, if your heart's in it and you want to do good. And it's not something that um, you're looking for the accolades from the police department for. You're looking at it from a self-satisfaction because that's pretty much where we have to be if we want to really be good. You know, We talked about paying for classes out of our pockets because mm-hmm. we just want it to be better. But you know, for the guy that has to travel an hour, if his heart's in it and he finds the people that he can connect with that will help him advance that hour drive just, you know, it might, it might suck a little bit, but it's a sacrifice that people like that are willing to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know I've certainly done it. I've got people that, you know, are an hour and a half away from me that uh, hour and a half drive ain't nothing for Mm -hmm. me to go see these people and talk to them and train with them. You know, that's, that's just the way it has to be because of the, the thing that i want for myself and it's not you know i'm retired but i still learn Uh, you know speaking of learning we got a new company called smart talk and that's going to be two days before hits this year and that's really for the the guys who aren't in law enforcement and the ladies who aren't in law enforcement that want to train dogs and uh, learn from a lot of the instructors that'll be at hits so Uh, We're trying that out this year. We've got about 100 people signed up so far for it, and it's a two-day seminar. And uh, our focus, because we do have to have a a focus for the two days, because uh, civilian dog training is just a 360-degree view. You know, there's so many aspects of it. Mm -hmm. But our focus this year is search and rescue and then the nose work. And uh, that's really um, another... That whole civilian side of everything plays such a value in uh, what we can do with our police dogs that it's been overlooked for years. We used to think that we were better and thought that we were separate, and uh, we knew what we were doing with police dogs much more than any civilian trainer, but um, there's so many different things out there to learn, and just having a ball with all this stuff. You know, there's uh, scent detection work where people get together with their dogs and they compete kind of like a, a drug detection certification and, uh, they don't find drugs. They just do the different scented oils and stuff, but, mm-hmm. um, it's a huge thing. And so people want to learn that sort of thing too. It's the detection side of it, but search and rescue is huge. Uh, all these different aspects of, uh, dog training, we're just going to have, um, different stuff with a smart dog training conference, Um uh, in the coming years that we do this conference. So, um, that's going to be another great asset for people who want to learn more about developing whatever skill it is that they, they want because these basics are a lot of times just that they're universal and they're basic and uh, we can advance it. But, you know, you were talking about, um, the drives of the hounds and the difference in the way they, perform with the tracks and uh, versus the police dogs and that really evolves down to the the reward system you know we these these hounds are being rewarded genetically uh, interested in the thing that they find whatever animal it is that they finish up with whether they treat or whatever but uh, that's that's an interest that is shared by the single hound as much as it is the group. So, you know, if you're running a pack, they're learning from each other. Mm -hmm. They're feeding off of each other's enthusiasm to do that job, and then they're learning at the same time. Now, their genetics may push them straight into how to use that nose with that brain, but it's the pack that they're learning from to find home that skill. And, you know, we talk about dogs being able to track every single one of them that has a properly uh, you know, they're not some type of, uh, issue physically with their nose not working, but, um, they know how to track, but obviously it's up to us to, to hone that skill to the level that we want it. And so, uh, when we talk about trying to find the, the drive and to take that drive and enhance it for ourselves, it all boils down to what reward system that we have. So the hounds have that straight into their DNA to do it. Mm-hmm. And then their pack mentality enhances it and holds it. And then of course we need to shape that as we go as well, uh, into the direction that we want it, uh, for different sport. You know, I talked to a guy the other day that had some, uh, pointers and, uh, he was getting into the, the sport of the bird dogs, and I was floored at the amount of control that these guys have to have to be able to go out and uh, compete against one another. And one of the aspects was that your dog had to work with my dog, having never seen my dog before, Uh, you know, in in control and uh, allowing one dog over the other to, to lead that point. And uh, so it's just one more thing that, it opened my eyes to just how much there is to learn out there from these dogs and from the guys who know it. Uh, that was just uh, unbelievable um, at the amount of control that they could work on the dogs. Yeah. And a lot of it's genetics, but, you know, we put our human influences on it. But uh, the point I was making is that it's the reward system that really drives them.
0: Yeah. And you said something there that we, you know, I've touched on this quite a bit in, in, in this, my podcast is, you know, dogs learn so much faster from other dogs because they can interpret their body language and what they're doing. you know, that pack has a lot of value to it where, you know, when we separate the dog and we're trying to teach it in, in what human thinks it should be, a lot of times that get distorted. Um, Yeah. And you know we've talked about. I mean, you know, you've trained this. You know, we've done it. You know, we put a crate. I mean, I know Franco had us do it. You know, we put a crate out in the field, put the dog in it, let him watch all the other dogs work. You know, we. I know you talked to me about it about muzzle work, letting the dog watch, um, doing that muzzle work. And you know that that pack has a has a significant value that a lot of times I don't think we as 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 dog owners um put enough weight in it right um you know i can give a real quick example um and this goes to a lot of guys that have really gamey dogs that if you've got one or two dogs that like to pull fur i mean they like to get in there and get after it then Mm -hmm. you're going to have a whole pack of that and if you have right. a dog or two that stands back and works a dog, a, an animal like a like a cow dog, which is what I prefer, I want my dogs, I want my dogs on the rear end, not the front end, and I want them, I want them back, and I want them baying, and I want them putting enough pressure on the animal to stop it, but at the same time, I want them to have enough sense not to get tore up, and they right. learn I, that I can't teach that, I can't yeah. teach it. The the pack teaches that, yeah. so. So much value in that. So much value.
1: Yeah, there's, you know, it it transcends across the, the lines of anything that we want to do is that these dogs learn from each other. And um, the AKC is going to do a presentation at hits this year. And the guy that's doing it, I forget his name, his last name's West, I think, but um, they have done some uh breeding uh to try and everybody does breeding to try and enhance the breed but they've made some successes in the detection dog work the labs and stuff that they use uh, with a breeding program that uh, you know that they believe uh, is scientifically sound and it's worked for them so i i want to hear what the guy has to say about their process and their thinking and how they've developed um, this whole thing. Because um, in anything that we're doing with these dogs, genetics is really a sharp indicator of how far we can take it. You know, Mm -hmm. if, uh, say, we were working at knee level on a dog whose genetics are there, we may only, in performance, rise to the waist. But if we can breed them with that right genetic coding, and that comes out strong at the waist, we may be able to take that, you know, to our shoulders or above with what we know about it. And that doesn't just isolate itself to, to one particular style of uh, dog disciplines, dog training, that transcends them all.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, genetics, and, and we, you know, we talk about that as, you know, that's that's your start is how strong are your genetics for whatever you're using the animal for? I mean, it's, you can't, yeah, you can't, you can't manipulate that a whole lot. (laughs) If it's there, it's there. And if it's not, it's not.
1: And it's so important. Um, you know, you can still take one with good genetics and not knowing what you're doing and training and it would be just a couch potato Mm -hmm. because of the things that you've allowed it to, uh, be involve itself in around the home or whatever, um, uh, pictures that it's developed so that you can, uh, just have a cow's potato basically. But, um, there again, if you've got that good genetics, the first 12 weeks of a puppy's life is so impressionable.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: And if it is exposed to things that have traumatized it in that first 12 weeks, it can carry those fears to the end of its life, and it can manifest into unwanted behaviors uh, that just reduces it down to a pet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we'll see that in the... The police dog world too but um even dogs that uh, and i'll give you a perfect example of the border collies and the guys who raise them they will from day one when those puppies are born uh start putting environmental exposures to them because they're very sensitive dogs and uh every day you know they they play They play loud music in the kennels. They play different thunderstorms over the speakers, so they're exposed to that. Hot towels, warm towels, flipping them on their back. Mm -hmm. And so every day they're exposed for those first uh, weeks of life to try and just inoculate them to that little bit of stress before they ever get a negative um, exposure that might traumatize them for the work that they perform.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff, before we wrap this up, what um i mean you've you've been training training handling and training dogs for 31 years what can what advice would you give to to the listeners about dogs or dog training like what what is what is one piece of advice that you would you would want to want people to know
1: yeah, to reach out to those who you think know more than you and not be afraid to ask those questions and to never just rest on uh, what you've done so far, because um, none of us know it all. And I can tell you that I'm still learning. But if you will, if you have the d- desire to be better, uh, just don't dismiss the, the value of learning from others. And I uh, My police department's canine units, um, one of the best, I think, and I'm not trying to brag about it, but I've seen thousands of police dogs and their performance um, can be matched to anybody's. And it's not because of what I did, but it's because I gave them the freedom to explore other trainers, Um, techniques and to bring those back so we could all learn from it. And I've seen some, and I've had people literally tell me in my training seminars that they love what I'm teaching and they, they are believing what I do is effective. And they turn around and say, the sad part is I've got to go home and do what I'm told. I can't get out of that bubble. I can't get out of that circle um, that they keep us in. And he says, I'm surprised that I'm even here. But um, so I'm surprised that I'm even uh, here because they like to keep us in that circle. So that's to me with when you give people that type of freedom to go out and learn from others, you're broadening yourself and their their abilities.
0: Well, and that's one thing I was going to add to earlier, and you just brought it back up is That's one of the hardest things for me to learn in in the law enforcement side was that um, I was taught a certain way and that that's the way I knew and that's what I did. And I did not like to branch out. And the biggest part of that was because I didn't understand it or I had not been able to do it myself and implement it and see that it works. And I feel like as as a a dog owner, that's something you have got to have a chat with yourself about is you have to be open-minded and you have to understand that there is going to be 15 different ways that you can do this. And if the dog that you're handling, you know, your hounds, if it works on that hound, just like you was talking about AP, you give him a soft dog, you know, as for us as trainers, that's something we have to do. We have to we have to pair our dogs with their handlers, and you have to know yeah. their, their their personalities and stuff. And
1: yeah.
0: um, you know, you have to be able to say, okay. Um, I, I learned through an old time method that I won't give it away, but a certain agency still uses that method, and I feel like I have evolved ten times um, of what the way I learned it, and they still use that method. But they have perfected their craft. They are really good at that. And they what people don't know is they per- pick out certain types of dogs that fit their their method. And they wash a lot of dogs because they don't fit that style of training. Right. And, you know, as, as, a, as a handler, you've got to be able to branch out. If you want to become better, um, and I don't care what field it's in, hunting, yeah. retrieving, Pointing, you know, police world, you've got to be able to tell yourself that I need to learn different ways because there's one point in time that I may need to use that way. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah.
1: So, yeah, in a nutshell, that is the advice that I would give people is that, um, and it's funny that you talk about the different ways is um, everybody's going to tell you something a little different and, mm -hmm it always frustrates and confuses the new guys trying to train the dog because they'll, the first thing that happens is it's when something don't work out is well, you're telling me one thing and somebody else is telling me the other. And so I'm always constantly trying to calm them down and say, listen, if I'm worried, that's when you need to start worrying. But if you don't see me worried, don't start worrying yourself. This is just a process. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times I will allow that person to work whatever techniques it is that they're being taught by the trainer that they're under at the time. And uh, later on, we'll talk about what I what I think about it. And uh, I've found that to be the better technique as a, the trainer is to not give too many different conflicting ideas to the handler at first because mm-hmm. it's so they're dancing with two f- left feet to begin with <laughs> and so to you know say well do it this way and then the other guys just told them to, to do it a different way and it's not that either of us is wrong it's just that they're different and so i try to limit myself sometimes when i go to to see the progress of, of class being taught by somebody else
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah Well, Jeff, I appreciate you taking time this evening and sitting down. Um, I hope when you get back up this way, you give me a shout and we can catch up. I know I won't be in Arizona this year, so I won't get to see you out there. All
1: right, man. I look forward to it. Thanks for having
0: me on. All right. Thank you for helping us teach, train, and learn. All
1: right. We'll see you later.